I'm on. There I am. Uh, I do have a sore throat, so just get that out of the way right now in case I sound funny. I hope that won't be too much of a distraction. I feel better than I sound. I'll say it that way. Uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn in it to John chapter 13. So we're continuing in our series on our seven shaping virtues, those Christian virtues that have been part of our history historically in our churches, um, things that we want to grow in, things that are the uh, fruit of embracing Jesus Christ and Him crucified and all that that means for us. There are certain qualities that ought to grow out of you if that's really what your hope is in. And so we have been walking through some of those. Today our focus is on the virtue of servanthood. And because this is the beginning of Holy Week, because it's Palm Sunday, uh, we're going to look at this topic from a text that happens during what we call Holy Week. It's Thursday night, the night before Jesus will go to the cross and then the resurrection. It happens at the Last Supper, the last night that Jesus had with His disciples. And it was at that meeting where Jesus did something that really instructs us about what servanthood is and why that should be a virtue that we want to grow in and pursue. <clears throat> so John 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 20, and then I will stop and pray. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, 
nor as a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Let's pray. Father, we remember your mercies to us, and particularly this week, in providing for us a Savior in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He entered Jerusalem to the praises of onlookers and to the palms laid on the ground in front of him. But he left Jerusalem to the shouts of crucify him and carrying a cross. But his pain is our gain, as many as trust in him as our Savior. And so we ask that you would open our eyes again to see the glory of Jesus Christ and all that he suffered for our sake and all that we have in him through your promises. We ask for the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to receive from this passage, from John 13, a fresh look at the beauty of Jesus Christ and also of our calling for all who walk with him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What would you do with your time if you knew that you only had about 20 hours left to live? And then let's shorten that time frame up. What if you knew that you only had five more hours of freedom to do those things? Because in five hours, you will be arrested and in custody for the last 15 hours of your life. That's the situation that was facing Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. He was eating the Passover meal together. So it was early evening, sometime after sundown. It would be around midnight when Judas would turn against Christ, would betray him, would acquire the mob and return with clubs and swords, and they would arrest Jesus. The rest of the disciples didn't know that was going to happen, but Jesus knew. John tells us in verse 1, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. He was fully aware about what was going to happen. He knew that he had just a few more hours with his disciples on this earth, and that in the morning, he would be crucified. So what did he do with those few remaining hours? Would you believe that the first thing he did was wash stinky, dirty feet? He put on the garb of a common household servant. He took some water in a basin. He went from one disciple to another, rubbing between their toes, <laughs> scrubbing around on their feet, their heels, their soles, wiping that with the towel that he had. He repeated that process 24 times with 12 disciples. 
probably took a half hour out of his five hours that he had. Does that sound like an important thing for Jesus to do in the remaining hours of his life with his disciples? Peter didn't think so. He didn't even know that Jesus' time was short, and he said, you shall never wash my feet. Like, no. <laughs> you know, he thought that was outrageous. That's, that's slave labor. That's not something that the teacher, the Lord, the Christ, should be doing, washing feet. You've got to be kidding me. But Jesus wasn't wasting his hours. He was being intentional. By washing their feet, he did something that was so outrageously unexpected that it would leave an unforgettable tone-setting illustration for what life would be like for those who follow him. He said in verse 15, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So we're going to watch and learn from his example and see what it is that he's calling us to do as his followers. I won't be explaining the whole 20 verses. Our focus is just going to be on what can we learn from the foot washing because that's the centerpiece of this passage. And so as we do that, we'll make application to our lives. Let's start with the why question. Why foot washing of all things? What was Jesus trying to communicate by doing that? Well, here's the first thing. He showed that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He came not to be served, but to serve. You've got to think about the mindset of the disciples at this point as they come into this last dinner with Jesus. They had recently been arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest, You'll read about that in in Luke and in Mark. Uh, They're disputing because they were expecting that Jesus is going to start a revolution that would throw off the yoke of the Roman Empire, the Roman occupation. They were jockeying for position and what they thought was going to be the new order after Israel is liberated and the glory days return and they're wondering, you know, what's my status going to be? Uh, after all that happens, so they're thinking about who's, 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 who's greatest here, who's going to get the highest positions. That Jesus would come to serve was the farthest thing from their minds. <laughs> they thought, he's coming to conquer here. So Jesus gets up, washes their feet to help them make sense of how he was really going to save his people in just a few hours. It would be by serving us through his sacrificial death that atones for sin. To use his words from Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The foot washing pointed to that in a couple of ways. First of all, foot washing has a humble degradation about it. The act of washing feet is lowly, it's smelly, it's dirty, it's disgusting. Because they're walking through streets filled with dirt and dung and sweaty. I I mean, my feet stink and I don't even do that. 
Um, theirs probably were worse. This is a degrading thing that, the, that foot washing is. It's a foul business. Lowly servants did that. But so also was the crucifixion. That was degrading. It was bloody. It was humiliating. It was disgusting. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. The really bad offenders who deserve no respect and ultimate humiliation. Paul described it in Philippians 2. He said, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, obeying the Father's will to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross. Like, that's the worst kind of death. It's degrading, humiliating, lowly. Foot washing is a little bit of a type of that. But the foot washing pointed not just to what Jesus, not just to the manner of Jesus' death, but also to what his death would accomplish. Peter said, you know, Jesus, you'll never wash my feet to all eternity. No way, you'll never do that. I'll ne- I won't let you. And Jesus replied, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. So Jesus wasn't talking there about just the need for clean feet. There is some symbolic nature to this foot washing that's pointing to a different kind of cleansing that you need. Peter needs it, everybody needs it, or you don't have any share in Jesus. It's about the need for a clean heart, a blameless and pure righteousness before God. If you're going to have a share in me, Peter, if you're going to partake of the salvation that I am bringing, then you're going to need spiritual cleansing from me. And that's what the cross accomplished. 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It removes the guilt, deals with it, takes the blame for it, takes the punishment for it, removes sin as an offense between us and God, it's taken out of the way so that He can see us as His pure bride, like is described in Ephesians 5. She's, she's spotless. Ah, she's blameless. She's perfect in my eyes. That's what the cleansing of the cross does for us. As many as trust in Jesus as Savior. That's the cleansing Peter needs. That's the cleansing I need, you need. And we have it as we put our trust in Christ. The foot washing points to the cleansing of sin that Jesus would bring. It points to the fact that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He pays the penalty for our sin so that we can be clean. Now somebody might ask a fair question. So why did Jesus need to do the foot washing to communicate the lowliness of the cross and its cleansing benefits? I mean, after all, the disciples would eventually figure it out. I mean, (laughs) they were going to be the messengers of this gospel. They were going to have to understand what the cross meant, and they would understand, and they would preach the good news of Jesus on the cross. So why do they need a foot washing illustration of the cross when you have the cross itself? Well, here's why. The foot washing also teaches us that 
we are also to serve others like Jesus did. In other words, foot washing doesn't just point to how Jesus would serve us on the cross. It also pointed how, to how we would serve others as we follow Jesus. There's, there's a way, there's a manner, there's, there's a, a motivation to it, there's a look to it. And foot washing captures all of that. Our serving will be cross-like, but it is not the same as Jesus' cross. It will involve humbling ourselves as lowly servants. It will involve sacrifice, but it's not the same sacrifice that Jesus made. Hebrews 10.12 says that Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. The cross is one and done for believers. Full atonement for sin has been made. It's not to be repeated. But there is a way that we can imitate that sacrificial service of the cross, and it looks a lot more like foot washing. Jesus made that connection in verses 14 and 15. He said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So the foot washing is an example of how we can serve people in a humble, sacrificial way, similar to what Jesus did. Servanthood, if you want to put a definition on it, is the ongoing practice of humble, loving sacrifice so that others may experience the grace of God in some way. Let's say that again. Servanthood is the, out, the ongoing practice of humble, loving sacrifice, so that others may experience the grace of God in some way. It's hands-on, like foot washing. It's practical. It's giving people a taste of the love of Christ, so they encounter the, the kingdom of heaven as it's breaking into the earth through Christ, and hopefully enter into that kingdom themselves. That's the servanthood that we're called to. So in a way, foot washing addresses the natural temptation of the human heart, which is to have knowledge without action. We can believe that Jesus served us by paying for our sins on the cross as our ransom, but not make the connection that this good news is supposed to change how I actually live and make me different and make me a similar kind of servant. We don't always make those things come together, the, the knowledge and the action, but the foot washing is, here's your action. Here's what you do with the cross. You serve. You help people experience God's grace in some tangible way. So let's bring this out of the realm of theology into the realm of practical application. What does serving Jesus look like in practice? I want to draw four observations from the foot washing. Here's the first one. Serving like Jesus is motivated by love for others. It's motivated by love, his kind of love. Listen to this statement in verse 1. 
This is the heart of Jesus towards his disciples. This is the background behind this, this action. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Or as the NIV translates it, to the fullest extent. Uh, there was nothing left undone that love required. <laughs> this foot washing was a part of his total commitment to loving his disciples. He loved them to the end or to the uttermost or the fullest extent. And, and foot washing is a way of doing that, showing that. In other words, it wasn't just the teaching moment. It wasn't just a, a handy illustration that you could use to, to demonstrate what servanthood looks like. No, it, it was Jesus actually loving the disciples. I, I love you. I, I would even do this lowly thing. I would even clean your feet. I would, I would scrub in between your toes. I love you that much. <laughs> It's gross, I know, but I would do it for you. I am doing it for you. I'm going to do something much more unpleasant tomorrow morning for you. I'm going to be crucified, but it's love that has me doing it. Love for you. <clears throat> he really does care. I wonder... If we know that, <laughs> or if we feel that, it's so easy, you know, if somebody says Jesus loves you, or if you see that on a church sign, you can just go, yeah, you know, cliche, whatever, I don't know what that means for me right now. I mean, it's just, some, it's just words we throw away, but what does, what does dying for you love really look like? <laughs> that happened. Jesus actually did. Bear your sins and your blame and your punishment. He gave up his life for you personally, individually, you believers in Jesus. It's a real thing. Love backed up by action. Action that saves us. That makes it way different from mere customer service, the way that we're supposed to imitate this. <laughs> I mean, how do we love people like Jesus loved us? Well, it's not just customer service. It's not like uh, when you go to the drive-in at the bank, and this isn't the fault of the tellers because they have to do this all day long, but you drive up, you know, and you get the tube, and you put your deposit in there. You send it off, and they say hello, and then you wait, and then the tube comes back, and you get your receipt, and they say have a good day, and you drive off. You've been served. But, you know, it's not really heartfelt and personal, is it? <laughs> you know, it, it's serving, it's customer service, but it's, it doesn't, it's not like Jesus' service. His is, I love you service. I want you to experience grace. Our service is to be an act of love that comes from Jesus' love for us. So there's no better way to grow in that than to consider how Jesus loved you. In John 15, he said, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. <laughs> Lays down his life for his friends. There's no greater love. He did the greatest thing. He, he loved them to the end. He loves us to the end. Today, he does. 
And so we need to believe that and think about that and, and work it into our hearts uh, because there's a rest that knows the Savior who reigns over the universe loves me today. So anything that happens to me has to be consistent with His love. <clears throat> makes us want to serve other people because we're freed. If He's loving me that way, then I'm taken care of, and that means I have space for you in my life. Here's another observation from the foot washing event. Serving like Jesus means meeting real needs. Meeting real needs. There's a reason that Jesus used foot washing as an example. It's because the disciples actually had dirty feet. I mean, they, they actually needed this done. <laughs> it was expected. It was common. People wore sandals. The, the hospitality of the day was you come to somebody's house, you take your sandals off, there's a bowl, maybe a servant, you know, we're going to get this thing done. And then you go in and you sit down and you don't track it into the house. Everybody expected that. Common hospitality. Um, but because this was a secret meeting where they were, because people were out looking for Jesus, apparently no servant. Uh, we have to keep this thing very quiet so nobody's feet are washed. So Jesus gets up and he does it. Now, we don't have that specific need because we wear shoes. Um, and even if you're wearing sandals, we're not walking on the dirty, crummy roads. Um, we're not expecting anybody to touch our feet. That would be weird, I think. It would be weird for me. I don't really want you playing with my toes. <laughs> but, they, but they expected it back then. It was a real need. Jesus didn't institute foot washing as a ritual to be repeated over and over like communion. He did it as an example, it says, of how we meet real needs. And there will be many ways for, for us to do that. Let me just survey some of the scriptures that show a range of the ways we can wash feet, so to speak, and serve other people. Uh, for some... It's going to be as an officer of the church called a deacon. And that word means servant. Um, Jesus loves his church so much that he's got that as an official office. Servant. First <laughs> Timothy 3.13 Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, just the other day, uh, an issue came up. It was a safe family's request for somebody who needed a car to be repaired. And uh, by instinct, I started to like get on that, you know, try and figure that out. And then I saw Rick the next day, Deacon Rick, and I heard he's working on it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a deacon thing. I don't have to. <laughs> it's taken care of. I love that. <laughs> God has given the church someone whose job it is is to serve the needs of the saints. I love that. It's an expression of his love for us. But not everybody's going to have that as your office, but we have gifts. God has given us gifts to serve each other with. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. What's good stewardship of the abilities that God has given you? Serve other people. That's what it's for. 
We're like the FedEx guys. God's given you a package, but it's not for you to open up. It's for you to carry to somebody else, right? That's, that's stewardship. Give it. Serve other people with what God's given you, your spirit-empowered abilities to bless people. This morning, we're enjoying the benefits of many servants and their gifts. Uh, in children's ministry right now, you've got teachers, gift of teaching, teaching our little ones who are growing up hearing about Christ. There's a foundation being laid for the next generation. And those teachers and those helpers are on a schedule. They know what to teach. They have supplies to do it because of Jamie's gift of administration <laughs> to organize that whole thing. All the half the church that's involved in children's ministry. <laughs> you might be fortunate enough this morning to be ministered to by somebody with the gift of mercy. Somebody like Jolene or Joanne who gravitate toward the stranger and the hurting person and just are there to love on them. There's all sorts of gifts like that that are being used this morning. And all of that is foot washing. But serving others is something we do to meet needs whether or not it's your gifting. <clears throat> so, for example, in Jesus' parable about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, he indicates that when we serve others in his name, we are serving him. Uh, but there was a group who didn't do that, and they tried to defend themselves. And here's what they said, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you, literally did not serve you. The takeaway is that serving God involves feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, helping the sick, remembering those who are in prison. In other words, recognizing and meeting the earthly needs of the people around us. That's foot, foot washing. The Apostle John went so far as to say this is a mark of a real Christian. He said in 1 John 3.17, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? His, his rhetorical question is, it, it doesn't. <laughs> if, if, if you have something that you could benefit somebody else with, and you close your heart. He says, that's not consistent with being a Christian because Christ didn't do that for you. He moved towards you sacrificially. And so if that grips your heart, you're going to be starting to do that yourself. And if you close your heart, it's like something's wrong there. That's not what Christians should be like. <clears throat> we share the world's goods with those uh, who we can the women who followed Jesus were examples of this kind of open-hearted, need-meeting, loving service. Luke 8, 3 says that Jesus had with him Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means, literally who served them out of their means. It's not something we think about often, but when Jesus was walking around doing his ministry. He wasn't earning an income. Uh, the disciples had to give up fishing and tax collecting to follow Jesus. They weren't making any money. 
So who's, who's supporting this thing? <laughs> well, Joanna, <laughs> Susanna, they're serving them out of their means. They're providing financial assistance. I love that. There's always something going on behind the scenes, isn't there? There's always servants that are behind the scenes who need to be recognized. That is foot washing. Let's make another observation about what serving looks like after the example of Jesus. Uh, serving like Jesus is willingness to do what nobody else wants to do. You do what nobody else wants to do. Jesus got up during the supper to wash the disciples' feet, and that means there had been plenty of time going by where somebody else could have done this had they wanted to. But none of the disciples thought about doing that. They didn't even wash their own feet, much less anybody else's. They were going to let the whole evening go by with all their dirty, stinky feet. <clears throat> they didn't want to. So Jesus gets up and does what nobody else wants to do. He does the dirty, demeaning, servant-like work of washing feet. And sometimes... Our serving is going to be like that. Nobody else wants to do it. You don't even want to do it. <laughs> there are things we don't want to do because they're gross, like cleaning the church bathrooms. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> or because they aren't glamorous, like bookkeeping. At least, I don't think that's glamorous. Maybe that's, maybe that's great. Okay, Danny, you might think it is. I don't know. Or because it just takes too much of our valuable time to do it, which in our busy schedule is anything more than an hour. <laughs> you know? Or we don't want to do it because we're just tired and we would rather rest. It's, it's the six o'clock syndrome. Uh, here's what that looks like for me it's the end of the work day, and my brain is shutting down. And I'm tired of thinking. I don't want to think anymore. I just want to plop myself down in a chair and, you know, scroll through some nice internet pictures of dogs doing cute things. <clears throat> you know, I have mentally shut down. Nothing else is going to happen. No more productivity today. <clears throat> but then as I'm in my reverie, the voice comes, Dad, I need help with my chemistry. <laughs> Hypothetical situation. <laughs> and I'm thinking, no, you don't. <laughs> I'm not taking chemistry this semester. I took that 40 years ago, and I'm done with it. And there's tutors, so speak to one of them. <laughs> Sometimes you just don't want to do it because you're tired. But Jesus, serving like Jesus means we're willing to do things that nobody wants to do that you don't even want to do. Because serving always involves some sacrifice. It doesn't feel good in the moment, but you're willing to do it because it's a reflection of the humble, sacrificial, loving service of Jesus to us. One more observation from the foot washing. Serving like Jesus is willing to go unappreciated. Unappreciated 
Here's an incredible thing about the foot washing. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Now, Judas doesn't leave to go betray Jesus until later on in the evening, not until verse 27 where he says to Judas, what you are going to do, do quickly. So Jesus washed the feet of Judas even though he knew Judas was going to betray him. It says in verse 19 that he quotes Psalm uh, 41.9 that Judas would lift his heel against him, his betrayer. It's interesting that that analogy is a foot analogy. Jesus washed the heel of the foot that was about to walk out the door and turn him into the authorities <laughs> for 30 pieces of silver. When you serve others, sometimes that's how it's going to be. You'll counsel someone, and they won't take your counsel. You'll provide child care. It will be taken for granted. You'll spend hours and hours preparing for a meeting, and nobody shows up. You'll do things that will seem like a complete waste of time, that it went nowhere, that there was no fruit that came from it, that it wasn't appreciated, and it made no difference. And Jesus knows what that's like because he had Judas. He sympathizes with us. He's in it with us. But more than that, he sees that sacrifice that you think went nowhere, and he's going to reward it. And that leads to the last point that I want to close on. There is blessing in serving others. Even when you wash the heel of the person who turns on you, even when you serve and it seems to be no good at all, there's blessing in it. Because after giving them the example of serving and exhorting his disciples to follow his example, Jesus said this in verse 17, If you know these things, you are, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed if you do them. There's both a challenge and a promise in that statement. The challenge is, we can know things about servanthood, agree it's the right thing to do, and yet not do those things. <laughs> and that's easy to do. We can tell ourselves, somebody else is going to do it. Uh, we don't have the time, we don't have the resources, we don't know the best way, things like that. Or we could just be consumed with serving our own needs and, and just don't want to serve other people because serving involves sacrifice. It always does. Sacrifice of your time, your money, your energy. So it's always tempting to just not do it. And realistically, we can't address every need that's out there. There's no way. We're only human. There's things we have to say no to. But saying no can be a whole lot more habit-forming than saying yes. Uh, it's easier to say no. It's easier to focus on self, typically. And so Jesus has to say, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's a doing. This isn't just an example for you to remember and have a statue on your desk, which I have. So does Dan, so does Todd. We all have a statue of a little, little figurine of Jesus washing Peter's feet. It's like, that's good. Put that on your desk. But then that's supposed to lead somewhere, right? Do. Do. <laughs> 
<laughs> blessed are you if you do these things. And there is blessing. So the second part of this statement is there's a promise of blessing when you do these things of servanthood. There's some encouragement here from the writer of Hebrews. He said, God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. That's Hebrews 6.10. Think about that. God sees every act of service that you do for his sake. Nothing is overlooked. In reality, most everything that you do in serving other people goes unnoticed when you really think about it. Most people will never see all of your hours of preparation that go into that moment of children's ministry or of teaching or whatever happens on Sunday morning. They don't see the hours that went into that. How did you develop the skill to run the soundboard and all those things or, or to play guitar? Nobody knows those things. We only see just a little, be- little piece of it, the tip of the iceberg. Things go unnoticed. Nobody knows that you rearranged your schedule to give somebody a ride, for example. What it was that you sacrificed to do that. Nobody knows what, you, what purchase you postponed or canceled so that you could give to some worthy ministry. You're often going to do things that nobody notices and no one might appreciate, but God does not overlook a single thing you do as a servant of Christ. He will reward it. Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. That's the level of detail that the Lord knows about your serving. He knows it down to the single cup of cold water that you gave to somebody because they were a disciple. And we've got water out there. And somebody put it there in cups, and Jesus knows that (laughs) and will reward that. That's his level of detail that he knows about you. The Lord sees and he rewards. Blessed are you if you do these things right down to the cup of water. So what shape will that blessing take? Well, you might see it in this life, maybe. You might get a thank you. You might see somebody who takes heart because of something you did, and that feels satisfying, that you were used by God to to build somebody up. Um, You will get the blessing of knowing that you followed the Lord's example, and that's a reward in itself. But even if you get none of those things, one reward you're sure to get is honor from God in the life to come. John 12, 26, Jesus says, Where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There is honor from God himself, which we will probably see mostly in heaven. This, in this life, maybe, maybe not. But we will get honor And that means to regard with great respect. That's how God feels about that cup of cold water, that children's ministry, that taking care of somebody's sick child or whatever. He he feels about that as, I'm going to honor you for that. 
Be sure of that. You'll hear one of those most precious promises from the mouth of Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Because ultimately all that serving is for Christ. If it's done with his love and for his glory. Let me close with this. When the love of Christ grabs our hearts, as we're moved by Jesus who served us by giving his life as a ransom, it changes our fundamental disposition. We begin to serve as he served us. We follow his example of humble, loving, sacrificial service to bring other people into an experience of God's grace. Servanthood becomes our way of life. It becomes our posture, our, our default position. It's one way that we can make known the goodness of the gospel in the world because everyone naturally serves self and looks out for number one. But if we're going in the other direction and saying my joy is to serve and to lower myself, that draws attention. Where is that coming from? Where is that value rooted? Well, it's rooted in the one who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So our service is that opportunity to point to something beyond us and to Jesus and his sacrifice. So we pursue our greatness that way. Jesus said in Mark 10.43, after the disciples were saying, who's the greatest here? Who's going to get the best role? He says, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. We're not vying for position. We're not vying for recognition and notoriety and a legacy. We're just going to go low. And we're just going to serve the way Jesus served us. And we're going to draw attention to his greatness. And what a great environment that is in the church. If that's our default how can I serve you? Looking around, seeing where the needs are, and meeting those things as God gives us the resources and opportunity. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus is building. So as we go into Holy Week, and we remember His death and resurrection, let's also remember that attitude, that servant, that, that love to the end is what drove this whole the events of this whole week. That we might come in to the kingdom with him. That's how we're going to serve each other. May God help us do it. Father, we thank you for this day, giving us a new day with a sunrise and with friendships and with this church. We don't walk alone. I pray that this week, as, as we're thinking through the events of the last week of Jesus' life, that that our hearts will be raised up and think about the love of it and be inspired to, to display that to others also. Thank you for your mercy, for pursuing us with love. We love because you first loved us. May that be our virtue. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing in response.